Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Part of the Gaps, the podcast which seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture. My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined by the evangelist apologetics extraordinaire, Dr. Andy Bannister. Hello, sir. Hello, hello, hello. How is uh, life at your end of the country? Life at my end is good. It is not uh, entirely collapsed. This part of the country is still intact. How about your end? Well, it's it's all right down here in in sunny Wiltshire, as we say down here. But uh, you know, obviously, we're only ninety miles from London, where all kinds of amazing things and protests. If it's not if it's not the Israel Gaza conflict mob, you know, j- jamming up the streets, just stop oil, are gluing themselves <laughs> things and stuff. So. Most days I'm reminded that I'm very glad that I no longer live in our capital city, but I live in the uh, I live in the leafy hills of Wiltshire, where the worst that will happen is a combine harvester gets you know stuck by the pub. Yes, indeed, and that, that's where I, I think I spoke to someone who I thought had a West Country accent, like Cornwall, Devon, Bristol. I know those are very different places. No, but it sort of gets stronger as you go west. So here Wiltshire, is- yeah, so they were from Wiltshire. They said Wil- they said they're from Wiltshire, and I was like, oh, okay, exactly. so I, I can't yet. No, yeah. as you go south, it gets even stronger. Like I got a brand new convoy harvester. There we go. Uh, and that's like it, a rare accent because somebody pointed out that's not an accent you hear a lot because you know people from Wiltshire don't be ta- uh, from Somerset and Wiltshire aren't taken that seriously. You know, if someone if you were about to board a flight to you know the states and the captain came on and went, oh, you know, this is your captain here. I'll be flying you at thirty four thousand feet in New York. I think you'd be running for the exits. It doesn't. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? There's like there's literally like complete outrageous prejudice isn't it like you would assume oh, yes like it's like because i remember there was an episode of w1a the bbc spoof number from 10 years ago or something um where it was about life within the bbc it was like their own mockumentary and there was something about a new some some campaign about people from the west country not getting enough airtime on like bbc news and things like that because of course we had uh, hugh edwards uh, with the welsh accent which is oh, yes. maybe that has a different has a different from the glamour to it. Well, oh, yeah, we, we, it's more um, exotic, yes, right. so we can we accept well, the authority we of the laugh, Welsh. Accent. The, um, we still do laugh that the the, the, the the you know that the bank that we use is is quite you know well now it's like a lot of internet stuff, but it was always it was telephone banking, one of the early banks to go telephone banking, and we like the fact whenever you ring our bank, you always get someone speaking in a lovely Scottish voice. They're all from the Highlands. But again, I think that's slight discrimination because there's no one from from Somerset or Wiltshire, probably because it wouldn't inspire confidence. We we talk to you about your overdraft, and uh, <laughs> exactly going, no, no, put on the put on the lady from Inverness. Um, <laughs> yeah, regional accents. I read something about this recently. So for I, I love the fact that American listeners listening to this are going to be sitting there going, "What on earth are they talking about?" But the same thing applies. There, oh, of right? course, they've got their own yeah, prejudices strong, about accents. Yeah, if you've got a very strong southern accent, like you're from Alabama or something, the chances of you becoming a major news anchor are probably less likely than if you've got one of those East Coast, you know, yeah, kind of kind of accents. So it's the same in this country. Yeah. I read some survey somewhere that, where they looked at which accents are trusted the most, and funnily enough, Birmingham. Which, for those who don't know, Birmingham, you know that accent of the UK, that sounds like you're speaking a bit nasally through your nostrils, like like that. <laughs> um, that actually came quite high. That was one of the highest, along with Scottish. I heard that. And then low down the list, I, th- I do think the West Country, Liverpool, uh, didn't come. If you, if you, you know, came. That's a terrible Liverpool the, accent. And where I, yeah, it was, wasn't it? I, exactly. People listening, going, "Can to stop it?" And then where I, well, come we've lost all of our Scouse listeners immediately. South That's London, right, yeah. well, South London, mate, in it. That's where I, yeah, kind of, like, yeah. grew up. Like, um, You're, and uh, he's really ghetto. Though he's Doctor Andy Bannister with a Queen's English accent, he's really from the ghetto. Man. You're down with the kids, man, in it. So go, <laughs> again, 
that's not gonna that's not gonna go down well. So different accents, yeah. prejudices, and um, and by the way, by the way, for people who think this is thoroughly irrelevant, this is of course biblical, right? Because we see this in the New Testament that the, the gospel, the, the the obviously the apostles, Jesus' disciples, were rural guys in Galilee, and of course that's yes. an issue, doesn't it? When they hit the big city in Jerusalem, and uh, you know they they were able to tell where they were from because when Peter was around the fire and outside the high priests house yeah, that's true you know, and he's identified as being a galilean because it'd be more rustic yeah. and and then i think peter plays it up actually on the day of pentecost uh mm. you know that they're just sort of simple-minded people from mm. you know they're, 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 yeah. they're, they're not they're not drunk or whatever but they're um you know they're just simple-minded folks following christ so anyway, yeah. accidents turn up in the new in the new Testament, and of course in the old testament there was the whole shibboleth thing wasn't there how you said or didn't say that word marked yes. out whether you were you were genuine or not yeah yeah that's what who, who knew there was such a you know a, a plethora of theological so uh, talk about that, that's become meaning a word that you you know you, you you sort of can't say or is a dividing line in, in in culture um is that a link in any way to what we want to talk about today I, I was thinking of just bringing up canadian accent and then you could oh, have canadian said canadian accents that's a link on canadian accents canadian. interesting and then who whoa who's a famous canadian jordan peterson but who's, who's also a bit of a shibboleth you say jordan peterson that's in a good point. circles and people are like whoa he the man <clears> and you, you that's know, true you if you were to walk into the offices of the Guardian newspaper and say his name, they'd be bundling you out down the down the down the fire escape. Well, this is the interesting. So that is interesting. So yeah, so that does bring us helpefully to the content of our episode. It's long an arc. To, an, to an, arc an arc. Yeah. So take a, yeah, listeners will be actually thinking we need an arc to get out of this random banter about accents. Give us an arc, Noah, to take us away. So here's the that is the arc. We're gonna we're into there. We're, we're into the proper showtime now, um, and it's. Jordan Jordan Peterson, yeah, we've had an episode on him before, actually, which is interesting, which actually has our most listens ever. So clearly we're just pragmatists putting Jordan Peterson in the title. But no, we um, thought this would be a really good episode to do because it links into this um, inter- this kind of very significant conference that's just happened in the UK, an international conference in, in Great Britain, the greatest of all nations, of course. That's why the clue is in the title. Um, and we... <laughs> Uh, had it, like it was, no it was jingoism was, on this show that's what no, I like. absolutely no not um, well there can't be jingoism yeah if, if you are in the greatest nation there's no you know it can't be jingoism because you're already by definition in the greatest nation so there is no when need in a, to when in a hole that. keep digging that's aaron's motto listen that's when exactly right digging. you get all the way down to the other side of the world so jordan peterson um has been a, a, a the key figure behind this movement uh, arc the alliance for responsible citizenship um uh, and it's kind of this conference has been happening in london uh, recently lots of attention on it and lots of sort of significance which is going to be culture shaping in future generations so very very significant like i said those of you who don't like jordan peterson it's interesting that you, you opened up like that, that way andy because he i think used to be more divisive Mm. Um, for different reasons than he is now. I think he, he's probably, he's become, I think we said this previously, he's part of the furniture now, but he's still a very significant voice to be reckoned with, isn't he? He's someone you can't really avoid when you're talking about these key issues of civilization, of where society's going, what the problems are, what the solutions might be. So we thought we'd um, open up, uh, it's your idea, Andy, isn't it, to take this um, short speech, which was the final speech, was it, that he gave at this That's conference? That's right. So he did this. Um, he did the closing address at ARC. And by the way, to put it in context as well, Aaron, what's interesting? I mean, ARC sold out. I don't know how many tickets they they had. Whatever they had sold out. You couldn't you couldn't get them for mm. love or money. And then the other thing that intrigued me 
is that he and uh, he and a panel of others um, did an event at the O2 Arena, a large venue in, in London. And I, I think there was a 12,000 capacity venue they, mm. were, they were using there. Tickets were going for 70 or 80 quid, and it sold out. There was queues around the block. I had a couple of friends who mm. went. And I remember thinking, how many like philosophers, because he he's a philosopher, psychologist type, how many sort of, sort of public intellectuals like that could stand on a stage with a couple of mates and just basically talk to people for two hours mm. and you'd have people lining up around the block. I mean, it's one thing to go mm. to the O2 arena to hear, you know, O2 or Coldplay or Rhiannon do something. To but hear O2? O2? What do you mean? Do you mean U2? You, I presume you mean U2. No, the O2, to the O2 arena. It's one thing no, to you said to, I thought you said to don't go to the O2 arena to hear O2. Oh, did I ask meant U2? <laughs> to hear the O2, O2 C and talk about O2. So you yeah. mean three and two letter acronyms. But yeah, and that's the yeah. other thing I say to people of going, yeah. I think you're right, he's changed and mellowed slightly. Even if you're still someone who's a who's a bit suspicious to go, what I find it fascinating is the the fact that he's had the influence that he's having mm. talking about the things mm. that he does. Because and I'm also intrigued by often hear these critics go, Oh, he's, you know, a right wing nutter. And to go, actually, the many things that Jordan says I don't agree with, many things I listen to, and I think that's very right, um, correct rather, but actually he doesn't generally stay straight into politics. Mm. Um much well, days. I think in Canada he does attack um, Justin Trudeau. I mean, the one, Trudeau one is like mad. That's like shooting yeah. fish in a barrel. So I was yeah. amused actually. One yeah. of my one of my friends who actually landed a, a, an opportunity to do a seminar at ARC. So Amy or Ewing, who's an old kind of colleague from years back and acquaintance, I did tease her on Facebook because she'd posted the, the video that she'd done, the talk she'd done at ARC. Because she, she didn't get you a ticket, so you had to tease her. No, well, it was that. that. Yeah. And I did, um, I did yeah. say, interesting, it wasn't that long ago, she was firing pot shots at, at Jordan Peterson. I went, now you're speaking <laughs> at his events so well, yes, indeed. welcomed into the annals of power but that's the thing is it's, it's whether it's jordan i don't think it's actually that jordan peterson's mellowed i think actually the conversation has shifted the, and things, the shibboleths moved, right? yeah the overton windows moved shibboleths have been spoken or unspoken that or, or, or weren't able to be spoken you can now speak about and so i think partly because of him and many others who rallied around it it's now not possible to keep so it's like things go i think I, when i was at these we were talking with john deegan on recent episode about abortion and how do you take something from unthinkable to policy that goes from completely unthinkable to then it's like it's just the case and i think there has been a shifting so though the world has been getting western society has been getting crazier and more leftward leaning in, in an unhelpful way um in a kind of ideological way that is still happening yes. and yet that the movement of resistance against that is becoming more mainstream and more normal and people can't really ignore yeah. it I think you're right. I think the other thing that's happened as well, I think with 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 Jordan and with with others, is that when that's when you know when he first rose to prominence, uh, some on you know not not all, but some on the left of politics, particularly through every kind of mud conceivable, mm. and actually just hasn't stuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we talked about this in the last show. There was a very we did on him. There was a very famous interview he did with the British journalist um, Kathy Newman on the on Channel Four yeah. News, one of our influential news programs. You could see that she wanted to pin him as a sexist dinosaur, and it's just watching the body language in that interview is mm. fascinating because you can mm. see that she quite likes him. You can see mm. her defrosting in the interview. You can almost see that actually she the things that I think she's been briefed aren't working and mm -hmm. they don't agree with entirely with each other at the end but i was quite intrigued to watch um mm -hmm. that attempt to sort of throw stuff at someone and then someone who mm -hmm. doesn't get riled by it because some of us when yeah. we're accused of things yeah. the natural thing to do is then 
you know, either get terribly upset or, or get angry or, or frustrated. Or I think he's just yeah. or sweary or whatever. He just carried on and gone, no, that's not me. That's not fair. That's not true. Mm. I'm going to largely ignore you and just talk about the issues. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all that to say, we yeah. thought it'd be fun, wouldn't it, to take on um, trending on, on, on Twitter, well, formerly Twitter, now X, well, however you're supposed to pronounce that, I have no idea. But anyway. Fight the revolution. Call it Twitter. Yeah. I, I, do, you, do you know what I find funny, by the way, as an aside? Elon Musk, who I think, you know, has some good things to say. I think it's hilarious. He's tried to rebrand it as X, but all that happens everywhere in the media, media, it's just connected the two things together. I think yeah. people either say Twitter, now known as X, or X, formerly known as Twitter. So he's failed to he's failed to change it's the true. He's just, it's like Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, cool. with a symbol. Anyway, a, a two and a half minute, three and a half minute rather, um, snippet of Jordan's final talk at ARC mm. has gone sort of viral on social media a lot of his videos get millions so we thought it'd be a really interesting thing to do rather than just you know describe the man's stuff and the stuff that's going on at arc we thought it'd be a fun podcast to do didn't we if we go through this in snippets and mm. we've broken it down into chunks so play people a chunk we'll have a listen and then we'll comment on some of the things he's talked around and i think what's interesting i think i found as i went through and i'm hoping listeners will too the stuff as christians we go brilliant you are absolutely on something there and it's so good to see somebody say that in the public square with huge influence but there's always a yes but um mm. and i think part of the art of being a christian in the public engaging with the public arena you need to be willing to do the yes but and the and the model for me in in, in a lot of this um Aaron is, you know, Paul in Acts 17, where Paul was willing to, you know, say to the Athenians, I was impressed, really impressed by how religious you were. So all these mm-hmm. statues and things, that's a good thing. Oh, but by the way, there's also yeah. the critique I would make as well. And we tend to do one or two, one or the other, don't we? We either tend to just uncritically affirm and go, it's all wonderful, we love this guy. Uh, or we tend to mm-hmm. go, oh, it's all rubbish, yabu, throw things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a massive need for a Christian to be people who can go, yeah. yes, but... Amen. I mean, fantastic. Well, it's very rare I get to do a little monologue and you go, Amen. amen. Normally, you go, yeah, yes. normally add a caveat or a footnote. I can if you want, but I'll save it no, for no, later. No, 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 I'll, I'll disagree with you later, don't worry. So, what we'll do, if the technology works, we will uh, fade Aaron and I out. We will fade uh, Mr. Peterson in and we'll listen to the first kind of, you know, chunk of this and then we'll, mix, then we'll come back in with some, some comments. So, here it goes. If I'm on stage and I'm talking to you, And all of a sudden, I become self-conscious. I drown in anxiety and I lose my place. Right, and that's what's happening to the young people that we see who are adrift. They're taught to be nothing but self-conscious, to do nothing but think about their immediate needs, to refer to themselves as the locus of all things. And there's nothing you could do that would make them more miserable. Interesting. Lots in that uh, clip that I found interesting. By the way, what's interesting, we were working for... I had the... um, a transcript of that made by a little AI kind of app, which is the transcript I sent to you, Aaron. And I love the fact that where he refers to locus of all things, the AI little bot turned into <laughs> the locus of all things, which would be a whole different, um, a whole different take on that. Um, but what, what, sorry, he said the the cap the capital L locus of all things isn't there. I heard that's what I heard. Was it was it different? It's locus of all things, but the transcript, the AI. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's really annoying because I re- reading the transcript, I was really thinking. I was like, "That's a fascinating um, thing." Like, I, I was actually about to make a comment. So I'm glad you said that. I thought he'd no, said no, the no, locust no. of all no, things. The locus of all things. Um, but I think what's I mean, I, I, the first thing that leapt out at me in that opening observation is that is the anxiety piece because to go. 
boy, do we live in a culture where everybody is anxious. We've talked about this on Pod of the Gats before, the fear that's everywhere, the risk averseness, and, and all the stuff that we're pumping into our young people, you know, especially mm. in, the, in the, you know, we see it in the schools um, a lot, and it's, and it's everywhere. Um, it reminds me of, it's a slight tangent, but I was reading a piece in a, in, a, in a magazine just the other day by a woman sort of bemoaning the fact that her local, her village has a Christmas, has a, has a fate every year. Mm-hmm. And for the last 20 odd years, she and her husband, you know, own ponies. So they've brought the ponies along and they've offered free, um, you know, they've offered uh, pony rides for people at the village fate. Mm-hmm. People make a donation, goes to charity. This year they were told, oh no, risk assessment. In order to do pony rides, you have to have insurance and public liability and all these other things. So she got a mm-hmm. quote, it would cost her almost a thousand pounds to make her pony available for the afternoon to do pony rides at the church fete. Um, so, you know, she obviously naturally went, not going to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. So just, but the anxiety, the fear, the red tape thing everywhere. So mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. like that he started here. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. I, I, do, I think he's tapping into something that we've we've talked about before. Clearly he got the idea from us. I mean, you know, um, why wouldn't he? But the whole thing about the digitization. So the, the, the younger generation who, who are, as you know, was it Sherry Turkle's phrase alone together? Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, I think we, we've not even though we talk about it a lot. People who are not in the um, Gen Z or Gen Z, we we tend to know the difference between the pre-digitalized society and post. And I think the that that means that we've got some kind of objectivity and and we and we sort of tend to think look this is a problem because we know what it used to be like we know how we used to read or how we used to think how we used to engage and have conversations how we used to meet problems not that there was never anxiety beforehand but you you can't not look at the young generation and go wow it's a kind of pandemic um of um yeah of anxiety and so and some of that it clearly a huge part of that is to do with the kind of lives we're living and the kind of things we're plugged into hooked into um, the kind of thing we see as just normal, the, thing, the kind of things they see as reality. Um, and so we don't even know the long-term effects of this, do we? we we'll observe the behaviour now among young people, um, but we still don't really know what ultimately it, where, where it will lead to. We can guess, and it doesn't look very good. So I think he's right to say that there is a, a duty upon those who see to sort of help those who are adrift, to, to put an arm out and try to almost wrench people out of this sort of Hmm. um yeah this sort of strange bog of anxiety it's a sort of uh, a miry bog as it were to use the the language of psalm 40 um where it does become about themselves and and the the, the narrative they're told from the institutions is 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 the kind of woke narrative isn't it it's the sense of i'm a victim i'm i'm the center of existence again the centrality of the self narcissism is not a new thing it's a thing that's been accentuated in the modern well, but you know that the kind of age-old myth of narcissists is an ancient myth, and so we've all had we always had issues of being self-focused. But I think there's a, a difference in in the modern world where the where individualism has become a kind of self-consumerism. We we we, we try to almost orient the world. We try to view the world and make the world around us fit our own virtual reality, where we are the center and we have greater capacity and, and reach and voice and platform as individuals to do that than ever yeah. before. And that does lead to more choices. It leads to more, a plethora of options and a plethora of possibilities. And it doesn't make people happier. <clears throat> it kind of makes people far more yeah. anxious. So we are addressing. I think, I think, yeah, I'd agree with both those, those things. And of course they, 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 they allied into each other, don't they? Because 
I think one of the things that certainly fed the whole cult of narcissism has been the digital arena. Because, of course, if you're spending surveys, so there was a survey I saw recently that said I think the average um, the average person, so it wasn't even young adults, it was the average person, so it may be mm. the younger generation is spending more here. The average person in the UK spends three hours now a day on social media. Um, and all of that is, you know, curating your yourself. Mm. I came mm. across a quote from a journalist, you know, a few years ago that said, you know, the curation of the self has, been, has become a 24 seven occupation. Mm. Um, that's all about how I look and how I, how, I, how I'm perceived and, and, and my feed and, and my window onto the, onto the world. The other piece of course, that's fed into it that we've talked about in the show before though, is I think at the same time, a lot of the sexuality stuff, um, because I think to be fair without meaning to, there's lots of other critiques you could put that are intentional. But I think one of the one of the accidental side effects of some of the sort of the transgender movement has been then it absolutely front loads the self. So it's my, you know, my take on reality yeah. is the only one that matters. Biology can go yeah. jump and what my friends say, my family say, um, all of those things doesn't matter. What matters is me and my self-identity. And to go that again just feeds into that you know, the idea that you are the locus of all of all things mm. and everything is defined mm. around you. Mm. And um, the problem with that, of course, is that aside from what I think the damage it does to the individual, you can't live in a world where you are the center of attention, the center of reality, because, you know, you've got 8 billion other little centers of attention and center of gravity. Mm. Um, mm. <clears throat> somebody once said, said that, um, you know, the danger is when you remove God, what tends to happen in modern society, you just replace it with 8 billion little godlets all yeah. running around and going, well, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the center of everything. And then how on earth do you arbitrate between godlets? Well, this is um, partly, this is what, this is why I thought actually that if he had said locust instead of locust, that wouldn't have been entirely inappropriate because um, it, you do become a kind of locust upon civilization, upon humanity, because if you are, yes. if there are 8 million, different, billion different people, trying to make fulfill themselves at yeah. the expense of actual objective reality around them, they yeah. do become consumers of the world, consumers of civilization. So you look at the revolution of woke, what it's doing, it can only it can only really tear down. It loves to tear things down, loves to bring statues down, um, and tries to erect its own traditions. But it, you know that they can't fulfill they they can't sustain themselves. They they're not things that we build upon this kind of intersectional nonsense today are not going to be revered in a hundred years' time. Hundred percent not. They're going to be forgotten because they are more they're essentially cancerous. They tear down and they don't build up. So I like that. So I was also thinking there, yes, exactly. If you make yourself the locus of all things by getting obsessed with particularly the the, the T in LGBT, locus plus T equals locust. You become simply <coughs> ultimately that which consumes and Perfect. You should put that, that put that on your social media feed, Andy. And if that curate, does not get cancelled, nothing else will. But um, let's hear, let's hear from Jordan. Yeah. Well, the last thing I was going to say, I think the, the other thing I liked at the end of that paragraph was that you know where he said, "There's nothing you can do that will make them more miserable." Because I think that's the thing that breaks my heart as someone who spends mm. a lot of time on university campuses and dealing with youth and young adults is that sort of sense of just that sense of ennui everywhere. That just there's a lack of energy. It feels everything feels very flat. Um, you know, there's a, somebody once said there's a crisis, you know, there's a crisis of meaning in today's society. I think that's, that's, that's everywhere. And, and it yeah. breaks my heart that the best we can offer young people is the ability to choose from 57 genders to put onto your social media profile. Um, hmm. it used to be, we offer them MTV and shopping, but actually I think MTV isn't once what it was. And I think you were in an economic downturn. So, so no wonder, I think if, 
if you tell people that it's okay, you are the center of everything, just don't forget that you're wonderful mm. and you're precious, you're worth it. Mm. Um, then when reality turns around and gives you a slap around the face with the uh, existential equivalent of a wet kipper, um, that the result <laughs> is, 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 is misery. So in one sense, I would want to affirm, be quite positive about the start of this little address because I think he he's diagnosing things well. And it's interesting he doesn't use the word sin, right? But... Mm. I'm always intrigued where people use biblical ideas and concepts, things that we can go, yeah, you're onto something. But I think the, whether there's going to be a perennial beat running through this of going, he's only got half of the picture. Should we, should we, should we, should we, we'll see where more? it gets to. Yeah. Let's do some more. It's identical with the instruction in misery. And you want to be outside yourself, serving a higher purpose. And maybe you're cynical about that, but you can think about it technically. Well, why do you bring a fork to the table? Well, so that you can put a plate beside it. And why do you put a plate at the table? And it's so that you can set the table to serve your family, to share food, to bring together the people you love in something approximating harmony as a microcosm of the entire cosmic order. And you can replicate that at every level of complexity all the way up to what's at the pinnacle. And that's all real. And so is what's at the pinnacle. The pinnacle. Mm. Fascinating. Do you know, one of the things I find fascinating about Jordan over the years is here's a man who is famously vague on the God question, right? Mm. I mean, demonstrably, you've got someone who is not a hardcore atheist, atheist materialist, none of those things. Um, but yet, he does still seem a little bit frightened of the G word, the God word, um, <laughs> right? Which is interesting. Yes. He d- yeah, this in- p- pinnacle suggests mountaintop as well which i think you could definitely level at jordan peterson is essentially a religious pluralist and so i think that old mountain analogy which i'm sure andy <laughs> you will have spent many years debunking in apologetics q and a's yes exactly and, and and i think that's basically where how jordan peterson sees it so i'm just i'd be intrigued to hear him I, i'm surely someone must have put that analogy to him at some point, or, or the response to that analogy, because it it's an obvious one that someone as as bright as he ought to be able to see that the, the notion that we're just all ascending to some pinnacle. And I guess we'll save some of that for a, later on in his speech where he gets to. But the thing that struck me about that was he he does. I mean, it's the same when I I think I said previously when we discussed him. We when I used to work at a certain theological college, um, which will go unnamed um, because it's. Cataclysm College. Cataclysm College. College, something like that, something like that. CC, I forget exactly how it went. But when I, we used to, I used to set Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life as a set text for an MA um, unit on mentoring. Um, and we also recently, only this year actually, did a, did a session on his um, Beyond Order, his 12 More Rules. And, and always the same kind of thing comes up where, you, where you, as you say, Andy, He's he's speaking theologically all the way through. He's not he can't do psychology. He can't diagnose anthropology, what a human is, how they're made up, without talking about the ideal. What is a human trying to get to? Um, how how can I fix you as a person without aware making you aware psychologically aware of what what a person even is and what the ideal and what the good life even looks like? And, we, and you can't really do that. He's rightly recognised. You can't do that without an ultimate telos. You can't just yes. psychoanalyze people and say, look, your personal idea um, as of what happiness is or what a good life is or what 
ethics is or what meaning is you, you can't be your own definer of that it has to correspond to reality so he so i do like the fact even though i completely disagree really with him in, in the uber theologically he he <clears throat> he's gesturing to something which we can certainly uh, rejoice in and amen this notion that we are made we are meant we've been meant god meant us <laughs> we, we 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 have purpose i think the difference is where you lose the kind of things as christians we want to say but that god is not just a vague Day, you know, a deity um, off in the sky. He didn't just create the world and leave you to it to work it out. He's actually interrupted yeah. um, and revealed himself. And I think there's that phrase he came up with there, which was <clears throat> the harmony as harmony as a microcosm of the entire cosmic order, which he relates to a, sitting a, a, over sharing food at, at a and a family meal and that's really profound from a christian perspective you go ah that's the trinity that's father son and the holy spirit in eternal communion with one another that's yeah. harmony at the center of the universe at the center of all being and all cosmic yeah. order what greater expression than the trinity and then uh, that, that expressed even further in the eucharist in the, that sense that we're communing with christ over a family meal i mean you think of the eucharist as a yeah. family meal and oh, so there's right. great things you can tap into, but I don't know if he's actually meaning no. those things or not. Which leads me to wonder, there's a couple of things going on here in my mind. One is, is he quite deliberately not going there because he's trying to be wonderfully, warmly inclusive, which is odd because he can also not worry about excluding people. Mm. Um, or is it, as I say, I think there's a level of understanding that's that's missing. I think being generous, it's the latter. Because as you say, when I read this, there was lots that I liked when I read this, heard this. But to me, the screaming bit that was missing was Jesus. Your point about the Trinity is good too, because you know a, a, a theologian I think I've mentioned a couple of times on this on this podcast, who's long been you know uh, someone I've been admiration for, is Colin Gunton, um, who died a few mm. years ago now. And what I felt like about Gunton, he was a systematic theologian whose project was to his lifetime project was okay to work out if God is Trinity, that affects everything, affects every other doctrine. And so he was working his way through the major doctrines, writing write, writing a study on them from a Trinitarian perspective. So he'd done creation, he'd done revelation, and he'd yeah. done anthropology, and then he died. But his book on anthropology, The One, The Three, and The Many, that was the first book that really made me my eyes open to the reality of if God is Trinity and he's created us as bearing his image, then... Mm the very fact that we are made in the image of a God who is persons in relation, three persons relating one God, three persons, then to go, actually it's an hour relating together as human beings that the full image of God is, 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 is expressed and it explains why we're relational and why we're personal in a way that's far richer than what atheism yeah. has to, to offer. So I think you're right. He's on the edge of something massive that he hasn't quite missed, but to me, the elephant in the room is Jesus. But the mm -hmm. thing that occurred to me too as I listened to that and I realized who was missing, not so much what was missing as who was missing, is it struck me that some of the, and I won't mention their names in this context, but some of the folks who've drifted a bit left or very left in their theology that we have mentioned on mm. this podcast before, I always struck by the fact that Jesus begins to disappear from mm. their, what they talk about. You know, you look at the Twitter feeds of, of certain people mm. who we've mentioned in the past. And to go, you will often see, you know, God and faith get mentioned generically and Jesus sort of falls off the edge. So I think there's something interesting that if you want to play around with generic spirituality and an attempt to be wildly inclusive, Jesus doesn't let you play that mm. game. Um, you know, the mountain illustration, as you 
as you pointed out. You know, built into that is the assumption, well, it's the assumption there that all the paths do go to the top. My critique of that is always to say to people, I climb mountains as a hobby. You know, I've climbed <laughs> thousands of mountains, and I can tell you every path does not lead to the top. It simply mm. doesn't. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a reason why when you go hiking in the backcountry, you take a map and a compass. If you just went, well, every path gets to the top, mate, I don't know where you'd get. Mm. Um, so, what, what, Watching The Hobbit recently again with our... Um, children the first movie which is probably the only good one of the, of the trilogy um reminding that the fact they're going to a mountain the dwarves and, and bilbo are going to with gandalf going to a mountain and they, and they need this map don't they to be able to get in it's almost like you need you could all have the pursuit of the pinnacle and and that sense of the yeah. image of god in us but you do need revelation and scripture gives us that revelation of god there are in, kind of i don't i hesitate to call it instructions or even a map specifically but there are map like elements to what scripture is trying to do in terms of equipping us for the journey um, ahead of us on this earth as believers, as followers. So you're not just like randomly trying to connect with the pinnacle, as it were, capital P. You are actually on a journey with instructions. It's not all perfectly mapped out. There are going to be challenges of that map correlating with reality uh, before you. But nonetheless, you do have revelation to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's press on and see where we get to next. Let us ascend to the next pinnacle. Next pinnacle. And we've forgotten all of that. And as a consequence of forgetting that, we've forgotten the responsibility that we need to bear in our life to make our lives bearable. And we've forgotten the meaning and the adventure and the purpose and the significance and the, and the earned self-regard that goes along with that sacrificial attitude. And we've forgotten to tell our children the same thing. Oh, my word. There's a, so many things in here that we might we might talk about do you know again what i find fascinating aaron is to go the biblical resonances because again for people who aren't aware of mm. all of john's background you know go and look at his youtube channel sometime he's got a whole series of of, of i think dozens of hours of lectures he's done on the old testament yeah. now he reads it through a through a psychological lens and so there's a lot of the stuff he says there i'm like okay that's good but i think you missed the point there but the mm. fact that i think that's that it's seeped into him you know we need to pray for him because i think i, I often listen to jordan i go you are so close because the forgotten to tell the children the same thing immediately in my mind is deuteronomy you know the idea of mm. telling these mm. things to your kids the important catechize your children yeah catechizing your children and not just assuming and of course we've allowed even christians too we've withdrawn and allowed the state in many ways to step in and do this and we wonder why we end up in in all kinds of trouble but the forgotten mm. image mm. I think is really, really powerful one actually that when you forget when you forget who you are, you are in real kind of real trouble and um and there's i mean it's funny you mentioned you know the hobbit there's there's, there's quite a lot of that in 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 there and i and I think of the um if you watch the movies of the Lord of the Rings movies there's on the on the opening pro- the first words you hear i think in the prologue to the fellowship of the ring the words mm. of galadriel and she uses as language there's, there's that line about some things you know things being forgotten and things that should not have been forgotten yes um which actually comes from a different point in the book but it's tolkien and there's a there's a big theme running through tolkien of people forgetting 
who they mm-hmm. are and what they're, what they're supposed to be. That I think the hobbits have kind of forgotten that they rely on the rangers to protect them and the world isn't safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, you know, the, 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 the race of men have forgotten their duty. Um, you've got the Ents and Treebeards. You've got some of the Ents have just sort of forgotten their Ents and have become, become tree-like and mm-hmm. then waking up. Mm-hmm. And there's that big theme of, of, mm-hmm. of, of, of awaking and, and, and grasping responsibility. So he's... There's a lot of that, I think. Oh, it, it always comes back to Tolkien in in, in the right way. Yes, and <laughs> Tolkien, quite frankly, those are, those. That's all you need: you need the Bible, um, and then you need you know you need the works of Bible and Tolkien. I mean, this, it's right because he that is a huge. It, it's a huge theme in Lord of the Rings, um, and and I think he's getting it from his scriptural Christian worldview, uh, or a bit Catholic, Roman Catholic worldview. Um, he. I think there's just something there about, as you say, these different people who aren't aware of the responsibilities others are taking on in order to uphold you. And I think this is probably one of the problems with our pietistic approaches that we get in in many churches. So there are many Christians in the West who, especially evangelicals, and we and we sort of just go, well, the world is going on around us. The political order is happening, stuff's happening, but we're just going to focus on the churches. And that will be the way that the world changes. Now, in one sense, I, I we think we talked discussed recently on a parachurch and church mission episode. Mm-hmm. That isn't a bad thing. It's a clearly plan A, uh, local church building, growth, and, and evangelism. I just think you, we we rely upon those things to be possible because of a lot of other things that go on around us, and there are people fighting other kinds of battles who are also within the church. Um, and that those need to happen and, and need to be well supported. So we do forget the responsibility for society more broadly. But in many ways, uh, Jordan Peterson, there's some in that little speech there when he's saying we've forgotten the responsibility that we need to bear in our life. It's not quite the same as just responsibility for civilization or social order. He's kind of that's an existential angst of, yeah. of a kind of Nietzschean variety because he's very well versed in Nietzsche. He's he's been He's been through the mill, as it were. He knows what it is to think about the meaninglessness, the utter despair of human life psychologically when you try to think of a, a meaningful existence without knowing where the answer is. Now, Nietzsche's answer was was a, a, a terrible one, I think, but it was an honest one in the sense that like, he tried to have a solution where he took seriously the death of God. And if there was no God, what kind of life should you try to carve out for yourself well you're the ones who then are above and be you're beyond normal moral order and so there is no order beyond good and evil was one of Nietzsche's books mm. because we're beyond the con they're just constructs they're constructs of good and evil that someone told you to keep you in line for some social purpose so when you've ascended beyond that you've become the soup the ubermensch you're the people who've, who've who've realized that you've got it you've seen the light as it were what kind of lives are you going to live so therefore you mustn't help the parasites beneath you because they're only going they, they don't see what you see and they're not going to be with you jordan peterson understands the the bearable the need to make your life bearable when you think through these things many people don't think through them because they're happy with their soma they're happy with their entertainment life and their job and it keeps them from thinking about the meaninglessness of life and he's saying no you must think about this but we need to think about the responsibility to make it bearable and again, yeah, the, the the meaning and the adventure and the purpose and the significance of this, mm-hmm. which again leads us back. I mean, it's all sorts of we could say about Tolkien again on that front. But uh, fascinating to talk about that kind of notion of sacrifice, the sacrificial attitude um, yeah. that we so easily miss. I mean, that's a whole other piece we could we could talk about. And the, the other thing that struck me as well, by the way, before we press on to the next bit of this, was 
the remembering thing, I think it's very easy to assume, okay, it's the world has the problem here. You know, we've got to get right in the in the church. I sometimes think, you know, as Christians, we we are in danger of for, both forgetting who we are. We don't really fully sit and reflect on what does it mean to be God's children and to be mm. adopted sons and daughters. You know, that really are we are we are we are royalty. We are adopted in mm. through the through Amen. the cross and the status that gives us mm. not because of anything we've done but because of what's been done for us but therefore mm. the implications that flow from that um yeah. and then making sure that our kids grasp that and i think as i as my kids get older aaron you know your point about the meaninglessness i think one of the most important things we can do is drum into our kids to go remember who you are because this is the choice the choice is not christianity mm. or just something else the choice mm. is it's christianity or the void that mm. is what you are you are faced with. chaos yeah, Christ, Christ, or chaos, uh, as somebody once uh, said, or um, you know, uh, David Bentley Hart, who we've mentioned before on this uh, this podcast, wrote a really powerful essay a few years ago called "Christ or Nothing," and uh, playing with the idea that that that's the alternative. It is Christ or nothing, nothingness, mm. and he doesn't mean nothing as no other options. It is nothingness. It's the void. It's just what and everything that entails. Mm. Um, and I think I, I didn't. Even- I was going to say that also becomes, I think, quite powerful. You need to articulate it in a way that's winsome a lot of the time. But as we then engage in evangelism, which, as you know, is a is a passion of uh, of mine, I then think, you know, then it's the case of how do we help people see what the alternatives are here? And going again, it's um, what you have is Christ or or nothing. So if you're going to reject the gospel, then what you're having is is nothing. Mm. And it just reminds me, I was going to say, of uh, think about evangelism and even winsomeness there. And a, and a, a comedian I saw, an American comedian, um, someone posted a clip of, of him on, on Twitter X recently, and he was talking about the people who kind of mock the idea of God um, creating from nothing. Um, and he was saying, do, do you know, and he was just saying, do you know what's, uh, what's completely um, meaningless or what's completely contentless? Nothing. <laughs> he's like he, he he goes into it i don't think he's even a christian i think he swears later on in the clip but he's like thinking aloud and, and he's got people with him who are coming to this comedy show who are aware of the fact that do you know what's like literally literally meaningless doesn't have any content at all is nothing and you believe you came from literally nothing uh people who believe in god believe that god created you and so that that's a far more reasonable way to think about your existence than literally I came from nothing. It is the, the epitome of a meaningless, um, a, a meaningless concept. Yeah. It's one of those, you'll have to find, I'll try and find the clip and uh, stick it in the show notes. Yeah. Wow. There you go. So let's, um, let's press on and see uh, where we get to next. And here, here again is, uh, is Jordan Peterson. And we could remember, we could remember who we are. We can remember who we are, and that's what this conference was for, to remind people, everyone who attends, who you are, right? You're the... the, the... You're, you're the men and women, individuals made in the image of God who stumble eternally uphill towards the, the, the Jerusalem on the hill, the, the shining city on the hill. No. Oh, my word. I, I criticized the guy for not using the G word. He just dropped the G word. He dropped the God word there. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, by the way, which I, I found interesting here, Aaron, is, is, 
is you, maybe people listeners just caught it. Um, if you watch it, and we'll all put a link in the in the show notes, the emotion he's almost tearing up. Oh yeah! At this point, and you, I think that's one reason the audience applaud. It's not just what he's saying. The, you can see this is someone who's deeply moved mm. um, by this. I, I found that very powerful, actually. How yeah. how how deep this this cuts him some of this stuff. But I mean, the, the thing is, people. I mean, that's not unusual for him. To be fair, like he does, he does tend to tear up in those. Um, Scenario sometimes. I'm just a cold hearted rich, you see. I, <laughs> I don't do yeah, that's a stiff upper lip and all that. That's why right. this this impresses you. Yes, the cry. Oh. If you just, if you want if you're a weird Andy Bannister's heart, you just don't cry. No, I think you're right. It, it, emotion, though, it can be absolutely manipulated and overblown as a as a kind of gauge of truthfulness in our time. I think that is a, it can be a problem. But in his case, I think you can see he's genuinely he's a, he's a person of great integrity. Like I said, we don't agree with him with every, on everything, but he is a man of integrity and he's someone who is affected by the truths he speaks of. And I think we could all do with, with, with being so affected. And, and in many ways, you could you link to the, the thing about the Great Awakening. Think about someone like George Whitfield or John Wesley, Hal Harris and others who, who were preachers in um, around Britain and, and then some to the US as well before it was called the US, um, before the, you guys officially um, you know, went and left us. Um, it... It was interesting that they emotion was a huge part mm. of the Great Awakening, and it was like an awakening to the fact that God can affect your emotions. Now, yes, we do, we do overplay that, and there are dangers with that. But we, we would be really foolish to then say that it doesn't matter and like mock it and say, "Well, therefore you're going to lead to emotionalism." We don't want emotionalism. We don't want people thinking, "Well, because they're emotional, oh, it must be true." Because we do see a lot of that nonsense. That's what that's what wokeism literally feeds off it's funded by emotivism and so how do we how do we kind of manage that and go right the emotion itself is not the thing that makes it true but nonetheless you kind of hope that the truth would affect people in the way that these psalms you see david's emotion coming out but you also see a ruggedness you see a resoluteness and integrity that isn't just i'm swayed by whatever i'm feeling at, at any given moment in jordan peterson's case you can see it's kind of the kind of outburst of emotion that's like at a very core um, core level, isn't it? I think so. And then, of course, the other thing here that we could spend huge amounts of time talking about, but I'm conscious we've got about ten minutes left to try and squeeze the rest, uh, mm. the rest in, is that um, the, the image of God language comes yeah. through, which I think is really, really, really interesting. Um, but then, of course, the, the, the stumbling—it's it's stumbling eternally uphill. And yeah. again. I suppose what I find so frustrating, both encouraging but also frustrating <laughs> with the likes of Jordan, is to go so much stuff that you want to go thumbs up to. You know, he's finally mm. got the God word in there, the image of God piece, the, the heading uphill towards Jerusalem, the Chinese city on the hill. But the piece that's missing is that redemptive mm. element. And I do yeah. I do wonder, I'd love to see him address more. Or I'd love to know his, his, his thinking on, can we just do it ourselves? Is it just we need to remember who we are? We need to pull ourselves up by our, our bootstraps. I mean, you mentioned the 12 rules of life that you used to trigger your students by setting as a tech. You know, <laughs> wasn't chapter one, I think, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Yeah, yeah. It was chapter one. So I got a man up or woman up. Put your house in order. Get, yeah. Get, get on it's... with it. And um, and some of that is true. I mean, to go, and, and we need to be careful as Christians here of going, we don't flip the other way and go, right, you know, it's there's nothing we can do. We're just miserable wretches. We need we need God's salvation, mm. but then we need Him to do everything for us. You know, the New Testament is full of moral exhortation. You know, yeah, Paul was yeah. not above you know kicking people at the rear and then going, "Come on, get on with it." Um, yeah. But doing that in the light of 
the fact that we can't do the whole thing ourselves. We need the indwelling power of the spirit. Mm. We need that new creation. Um, mm. And what mm. I suppose one of my bigger fears for, for, for Jordan and those who listen to him exclusively, if you imbibe this and you think, right, we've got to build the, we've got to get to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to push ourselves forward. Well, you are going to fail because human society is going to come to an end. We know things are going to get <clears throat> old, long, on the long term worse before the end jesus was very honest about this wasn't he there'll be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and you know these are the mm. birth pangs um so you know if you od on jp rather than jc and you think we can make the world better we can do it in our own you are going to end up disappointed and, and ironically that's going to plunge you back into anxiety and despair the way out of that loop is not just you know positive self-thinking is it yeah, no, I think there's loads. Of, I mean, there's obviously there's a whole discussion that could be had on post-millennialism, which is a different es- eschatological view of future hope. I look um, forward to that with such excitement. I just <laughs> find, you know, I can't. Yeah, um, but let me, and I've got some, I have some comments on that, but I can see that in, in one of his later paragraphs, he's going to get to this thing again. So let me save that and you can jump onto the next clip. I mean, one tiny thing to say on this bit, we yeah, just said was the Jerusalem on the hill, the shining city on the hill, that links into his Abrahamic faith thing. So I think he has respect for Islam and Christianity and Judaism, not so much uh, for others, other major religions, as far as I can tell. He, and there's that whole old school, you know, pluralistic approach of the religions of just like, we've all got Jerusalem in common, in common in some way. So when we read it as Christians, you can sometimes be deceived and go, oh, he's basically entirely on our side. We are the Jerusalem. We are, it is the city. And isn't that what the church is? And he's not thinking... The church. He's thinking of like greater humanity ascending into one major kind of religious um, mass, one body, and that's very problematic theologically. So that's where we say some of these stuff with Jordan Peterson. You, you, we, we thank God for the really interesting, cool stuff that breaks walls down, and there's other stuff which is a lot more um, worrying or troubling if you were really to take it yeah. seriously theologically. <clears throat> Which again brings us back to, you know, where we're at the top of the show with Acts 17. I'm always telling people, start from what's going on in culture. Don't end there. You know, start from Jordan if you're engaging people who are into him and then um and then push forward. But let's let's uh let's crack on. We've got three more little snippets to get through. So here we go. Here's some more. On the hill. No one we're so foolish. We regard those propositions as something approximating what primitive superstitions when in fact they're the most brilliant intuitions into the fundamental structure of reality that have ever been offered we've what do you make of that one then go on well that, that's an interesting one because i think again it shows the way he's looking at this analytically and and it it shows um the way he thinks about religious revelation and what, what religion religious structures are he thinks of he's firstly tr- doing an apologetic there against atheism so he's saying you think this is primitive superstitions and all these religious stuff. We've got to graduate from the fairy tales of the past. So yeah, amen to that. That's a stupid thing that atheists have been saying for years. I debate with atheists today all the time on on X, Twitter, to um, yeah, to the effect that they they still have this weird new atheism thing where they think somehow they're they've, they're enlightened, etc. And he's saying we've moved beyond the primitive superstitions of religion. He's just trying to say, look, this is not just a primitive superstition. This is fundamental to what it means to be a human being to kind of get this so yeah again amen to that but the thing i would again Mm. say is is problematic is when he says when in fact they're the most brilliant intuitions into the fundamental structure of reality that have ever been offered 
it almost suggests a kind of progressive revelation, a, a human grasping after the divine, which is a very vague, again, pluralistic way of thinking, going, well, all scriptures are all this. They have different contradictions between them. They're just different grass. It's like the, you know, the blind men and the elephant. They're all yeah. grasping a different part of the elephant. And they just this is their way of expressing it. This is how they used to express it in, in ancient Mesopotamia. This is how they expressed it in ancient India. Um, and we're just we're all kind of following after that. And they're brilliant, and no one's ever gone better than them. But hey, they might do. Like this is the be- the best we've got so far. The most brilliant intuitions into the into reality that have ever been offered. But hey, we we keep ascending that hill, and we might get to a better one. That's just that isn't that isn't reality. And no no proper uh, adherent of let's say Orthodox Judaism, Christianity, or Islam say nothing of Buddhism or Hinduism or Shintoism or whatever. I think that's what's they're going not on. Gonna, they're not going to believe that because they believe their scriptures and we would want to say they're wrong. We might want to say there's correlation in mm. what they think they've grasped hold of and there are things you can connect with other religions and say, hey, you are made in the image of God. You're not completely crazy to see this and, and you can see, you can do an Act 17 thing with other religions and, and find correlation and then speak about the way that Christ fulfills and complete, or maybe abolishes something that they hold uh, as sacred but really yeah we're dealing with the need to respond to actual revelation as revealed by god not not just human societies kind of thinking hmm, what would god be like if i'd like to imagine him yeah do you know it's often i often make the observation to folks when i'm talking on this to you know secular audiences or speaking evangelistically that i think the, the the mistake that people make and i think jordan is making it here is the assumption that you know if there is a god the pinnacle's out there somewhere it's out in the mist somewhere so we can't possibly know we know it's there's a mountain up there somewhere so human religions become different people's best guesses so you know the quran is muhammad's best guess the new testament is you know various writers best guess and so the list goes on but so it's you know hugely important for christians to be clear that we do not believe that christianity is none of the best guess we believe that the central event at the heart of christianity is someone coming to us out of the mist and saying let me tell you not just tell you let me show you what the reality is and that difference between i think sort of best guesses and human intuition and actually that full revelation of god in christ is 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 the thing you can't get around and of course that's where the pluralism train comes off the tracks because you know i often say to people mm. just on christianity and islam you know my specialties of going the quran is absolutely clear that jesus was just a prophet it reserves strong massively strong criticism for any notion mm that Jesus was divine. The New Testament, Mm. the divinity of Jesus on every page. Those two documents cannot both be right. Jesus cannot be just merely a prophet or the son of God incarnate. Those are two Uh, contradictory statements. Exactly. And there was a book actually that came out not too long ago called Do Christians and Muslims Worship the Same God? I forget very, the author. I think, it, I, think, I think it was a really, one of those apologists who'd gone off the rails or something, but do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Have a look at it. You know, even if the author is terrible, you can, there's still some, some good truth maybe to be mined from the book. Absolutely. So thank you for that. And uh, the uh, any commission, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a cut on. So let's, anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Two more bits to go. And I'm very conscious the time is against me. So let's uh, pr- crack on to the penultimate Last of Jordan. We've predicated our civilization on those presuppositions, and look at it. It's not so bad. We've brought wealth and plenty to billions of people around the world. We've been struggling uphill properly, and if we were wise and faithful and courageous and responsible, we could continue to spread that to everyone. We could eradicate absolute poverty. We could bring about a time of abundance and opportunity. 
for everyone, and we'll do that. We can do that if we hoist the world on our individual shoulders and operate collectively in this harmonious manner and continue the struggle uphill toward the city of God. And that's... Do you know, there's part of me just like smiling again listening to that, Aaron. <laughs> Hi, he reminds me of one of my old head teachers who was like, come on, boys, just like, oh, just pull, <coughs> pull together and stop squabbling and stop arguing. We can jolly well make this school a better place. Come on, get on with it. It's a <laughs> Hoist the school on our shoulders. Hoist yeah. the school on our shoulders, sing the old school song and, and carry on uphill to the, the top of the rugby ground. That sounds cool. That's, that's a good head. That's a nice headmasterly thing to say, you know. Yes, it was that, come on. Reprobates. And, you know, bunch of reprobates. Um. I'm just struck by, again, the, the, the tension through this of going, so many mm. things I listen to, they're going, I, I think what I really value is that it's not so bad. And it's interesting to know the subtext here. He's not talking about, he's not talking about sin and you know, human corruption. At this point, he's having a pop, isn't he? At those, mm. you know, those voices in our culture who would say the West is terrible. Look at the legacy of the West. Look at all the bad stuff that's happened. I think to, to sort of slap that down a bit with going, come on, the, what, mm. what has been done through Western civilization for all of its faults and stumbling and tripping and missteps, yes, is, you know, billions of people lifted out of poverty, education, science, all of those things. And we've mm -hmm. talked on this show before about the, the legacy of Christianity in there, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, many others. Yeah. You know, it's a thoroughly Christian story. Although then, at the same time, that puts a shot to the pluralism piece because mm. you can't escape the fact that just takes something like modern science. Modern science didn't start in China, despite that China mm. was technologically more advanced than the West. It didn't start in the Muslim world, despite that being a great civilization. It started in medieval Christian Europe for good reasons that have been well documented. And um, I wish you modern science, because obviously they're Greek versions modern of science. science. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I and by the way, I classify there's a book called by a guy called James Hannum, God's Philosophers, and he does James does a really good job mapping out what we mean by science. We mean the scientific method, experiments, mm. repetition, observation, but also science as an enterprise organized and funded by the state. So a, an organized mm. scientific endeavor uh, with structures around it to, to 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 ensure it's succeeding. That has only risen once in in human history, and it's not just Christians telling that that story but again mm. there's also that note of it's when he said eradicate poverty i was like well on the other hand i think i seem to recall somebody with similar initials not quite jp maybe maybe jc might have yeah. said all always be with you um yeah. <clears throat> and i think there's a utopian strand sometimes to peterson mm. kind of comes through which is odd for someone who's so well thought through that someone you'd have thought who's a student of history might also look back and go whenever we, whenever human beings have inclined towards utopianism, that road does actually often lead to quite dark places. Actually, um, yeah, that can look quite hellish in the end because the danger is yeah. you end up breaking those who don't who don't fit your vision of utopia and who get in the mm. way of the great, you know, mm. path to the future. Yeah, and certainly that is definitely a, a danger. There, I, I read sort of hear that last segment and think of. Um, Reaganite, Thatcherite kind of thinking, which isn't entirely bad, but like it's it had its kind of problems as well with with potentially with utopian directions, especially his phrase, the kind of hoisting the world on our individual shoulders. So basically, everyone in Reagan Reagan's kind of set um, back in the day would have been reading this novel by Ayn Ayn Rand. That's called right. Atlas Shrugged. It's like a thousand-page epic novel, um, sort of a yeah utopian slash dystopian sort of vision 
of what would happen if the elites like Atlas, Atlas, kind of the Greek myth, the guy holding the world on his shoulders, if he shrugged, what if the elites, the kind of people actually taking responsibility, pulling up their bootstraps, etc., doing this stuff, what if they didn't do it? <clears throat> uh, well, life would be pretty terrible and you wouldn't have a good economy. You would have people not taking responsibility. You'd have terrible immorality. So there are truths to that, <clears throat> but there are also untruths hidden within it. So it clearly isn't the case that that's how humanity gets saved that's not how humanity is redeemed or even how that's not how christian civilization began just by pure um individual uh, responsibility on on a collective level mm. um getting us in our struggle up to the city of god and we suddenly overcame it that's kind, that's a dangerously kind of pure virtue thinking if i can just make myself virtuous then the world will be a better place now actually good christian good virtue does is better than vice so yeah there are civilizations that are better than other civilizations because there's a greater level of virtue within them and we would be really foolish just to assume that oh it doesn't even matter like we're all sinners therefore literally any way that you want to set up your society it doesn't even matter it's all going to end up in the same way you're all going to be sinners well that's not true there are better civilizations than others yeah. the west has been a better civilization in loads of respects than others and we've not we've been told for so long that we're not allowed to say that because that led to colonialism or imperialism but there were good things that even non-western countries would recognize have been good exports from the west even if there were problematic ways they were exported yeah. there, there has been a, a kind of alleviation not an eradication an alleviation of poverty we, ha we have been able to do a lot of good stuff so as you say yeah it's not it may not seem as as bad as it uh, as it looks and that was thatcher's thing in mm. britain at least presumably reagan had the same kind of message was yes the gap between the rich and the poor is greater and that could be seen as a problem but the poor are better off than they were before so more wealth more capitalism more kind of uh, energy going round around it will it will generate more wealth for everyone even if it probably makes the rich richer yes. so that kind of would be the critique but but you know, you, you say, yeah, there are things that are good about that, but it hasn't solved humanity. So it hasn't solved the problems. It hasn't, it hasn't brought us no. redemption. And the two are the two, my, my two final asides on this part before you listen to the last piece. Of course, the danger is if you, if you do go down that route, you've also got to be wary of things like the consumeristic trap. And we've talked around that on part of the gaps before that you, you end up with this, you know, this sort of endless cycle of consumption. So I think that while you want to ensure that, you know, we lift people out of poverty, at the same time, we've got to address the, that, that consumeristic urge that drives so much of the of the West and has caused many problems. And by the way, the other thing, as you were, uh, you, as, as you were um, sermonizing there, back of my mind is always, if you think that just having moral people, if that's all you need, I agree with you. Morality is not a bad thing. If it comes the only thing, go look at the Pharisees. You know, we forget that the Pharisees, well, they were very, very, very moral people. You know, if they they make ideal next door neighbours, um, but they didn't succeed in uh, in what they were hoping to do, and because they missed a whole number of things. Um, and so, I think similarly with Jordan here. I mean, the challenge. I want to be fair to the guy. I mean, given what you're trying to do, the audience you've got, he's also whatever he believes or doesn't believe personally. He's also, I suppose, trying to walk this line between. You know, urging people on to get out there and try and change things, mm. and just sit there and mm. go, "Oh, it's all too yeah. hard work." Oh, yeah, it's way better than despair, isn't it? It's better than either sluggishness or despair, or or or, or just slovenly. I don't really care. Let's let let's let the despair take over us, or let's just be lazy about it. And I think just a quick note would be to say on that on the end of it because he has that bit at the end, the struggling uphill toward the city of God. That just reminded me of the thing I mentioned earlier on on mm. post mill. 
So just there are a lot that it is it is a live debate. Like eschatology is not an easy subject. I was chatting with someone just recently about this. Um, and there, there are many really great people at the moment who are seeing loads of good stuff about the need for the church to reach the culture and the world, the kingdom of God advancing. And it, it should mean that things get better, even though you're right that there's there's all sorts of exegetical debates about when did the stuff happen that Jesus talks about and that we see in Revelation. Um, that's like an, an open debate. It's not really something that's easily solvable. But there are many who certainly see we should be thinking because Christ is Lord that there will be an advance of his kingdom and that will have effects in the world. That might have peaks and troughs. We might have parts of history where it gets worse again and persecution comes. But actually, that's the, the kind of struggle until the end when Satan's finally uh, defeated and Christ is is Lord of all and at every knee will bow. But and it's right, and it's right not to be, as we say, not to black pill your children, as I've heard um, some say, not to make people think, right, you've got nothing to look forward to. It's only going to get worse and terrible. So don't even bother planning for the future. Like we should be thinking ahead. We should be thinking, preparing our children for the future and going, God is God is on the throne and he's going to do some uh, some amazing things. It's, it might be difficult. There will be hard times, but we shouldn't be constantly thinking about how terrible everything's going to be. We should be thinking God is on the throne and he's going to sort things out. If you just say that in a Canadian accent, people might go, "That's that was Jordan's become a Christian. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. Let's go for the last clip. And that's the truth. That's the truth. It's not some superstition. It's not some primitive defense against death anxiety. It's not the opiate of the people, right? It's the call to divine responsibility. And to the degree that each of us act that out in the confines of our own life, we do what I suggested at the beginning of this conference, which is tilt the world towards heaven and away from hell. And Wow. Tilt the world towards <laughs> heaven and away from from hell i mean again you think of things you can affirm to go i think that is that is in one sense that is the christian story that's the promise of the gospel that actually that god is going to get the hell out of mm. out of earth and actually <clears throat> heaven wins mm. um obviously the, the jesus piece somewhat missing but i, I do love the fact though that he also because again like you over the years having taken an interest in the new atheism i love the fact there's a couple of good pot shots here at, uh, mm. at certainly that's I mean there are sophisticated versions of atheism, but certainly the the more wooden versions, the idea that it's just, you know, belief in super belief in all this is just superstition or some primitive mm. defense against against death and so mm. on and, and, and so mm. forth. Um and also of course the opiate of the people, nice little uh, you know, yeah. like nice little yeah. tip to, to marks yeah. there. I Jordan yeah, I mean this in one sense, this final closing paragraph Aaron sums up why I both quite admit, I've learned to quite enjoy listening to him, but also find him immensely frustrating because mm. I would love to sit down for a, for a beer or a coffee or something with Jordan and go, come on, you are so close. There is so much here that is, that, that is good. Um, yeah. but just the, the, some of the significant gaps as a, as well. Cause I, ju I just think again, you're back to that slight drum beat of divine responsibility. So there's some things that you need to do to, to live up, to aspire towards the pinnacle and mm. get on up there, pull yourself together, pull your socks up, kind of get on with it. Um, and again, that just cuts against that for me, constantly against that gospel message that, yeah, God mm. calls us to some things. Absolutely. But they're not, you do them as, as a result of grace, not to earn, yeah. your way in and i think i'm struck the older and older i get you know the, the the beauty and the uniqueness of christian ethics and christian discipleship that it's a response of gratitude not a kind of trying to earn a wage 
uh, and mm. going, you know, when, looking at what you, has been done for us in Christ, then we strive on upwards. You know, mm. Paul uses that language, straining on towards the goal, but it's mm. not that there I might get there and I might win my way in, but because of what's mm. been done for me. Mm. And I just mm. wish, I'd love and I pray for the penny to drop for John, of going, mate, you mm. are that child of God. Um, look at what's been done for you, and uh, and therefore don't stop that urging on. Mm. You haven't got to mm. worry of that. The will you make mm. it because of because it's by grace, not by not by works. Yeah, no, it's really really true. I, I think if if you are having that having that beer or coffee with him, depending on what time of the day it was, beer in the morning, obviously, coffee in yes. the afternoon. You're a good reformer, um, you know. That's <laughs> you like there exactly. Be a good Lutheran. Um, I I think um, you'd want to say, come on, man, just get on with it, like. You obviously know, like you said, he said in his books years ago, like over five years ago, was it? I think yeah, over five years ago, he, he wrote the um, twelve rules, and um, he said in that one that like the most pin- pivotal moment in human history was the cross of Christ, and he's he's, he's been on other podcasts where he's wept while he's talking about Jesus Christ. He clearly has a thing for Jesus in some significant way, and is you would you would definitely get the sense that he tips more towards Christianity than any of the others. And, and of course, Judaism has a kind of special place historically in connection to Christianity. Islam doesn't. Um, but nonetheless, there's the, the uniqueness of Christ's claims, which have to be dealt with. He's obviously, he's been asked years ago, do you believe in the resurrection? He said, oh, I'd need three years to like reflect on that, to see whether I could answer. Just think, you know, there's a d- decision is necessary. And I think it would be a real shame if he decided to see all these things and still decide not to take that step of faith and actually trust Christ as Christ and not just like the myth of Christ, this notion of meaning, this bearer of all meaning. He's Christ isn't just the bearer of all meaning. I mean, he is, but he's also the son of God who revealed himself as a, as, as the God man. And yes. we must take him seriously. And, and, and those who've claimed to, to, to proclaim who, who he is, uh, who he said he was, and, and there, there are claims on your life. You could, the responsibility, the divine responsibility, isn't just for you to change the world. Amen, because we see that on this podcast a lot. When Christ changes you, you want to go and change the world for, because you're heavenly minded. You want to be a good use here on earth. Um, but it's not it's not just a divine responsibility, like like you're kind of you and God in, in some communion without that really being a reality. It's not just an idea. And so I think he's kind of intellectualized it in some way. Though he wants to make it real and, and change the world, which is good, it's still a kind of intellectual concept of, of God. It's, it's the deity again. And that notion again in the last line of um, wanting to tilt the world towards heaven and away from hell. Again, it's almost assuming who's the we there? Is that all of humanity or is that the people who go at ark, the people who get it, the people who are on his page and they're the ones holding the world up and, and the rest of the idiots are not? Well, that's just not, that's not the quite the message of the gospel, is it? For no. the elites almost. It's like, Jesus has come to save, seek and save the lost. So those who recognize that they are, that they, they need him, they're not the, they're not the ones who've taken responsibility. They, they need him because they're in the miry bog. They're stuck and they need him to wrench them out of it. We need that salvation. So again, as you say, you want John Beeson to get that message of the need of Christ and then to respond to him and not yeah. just have this idea that if we make the world a bit better, that's, that's like heaven. You experience bits of heaven. And if you, if it's really bad, when you see terrible things happening in the world, that's just like hell on earth. That's a very Rob Belly type of like it universalism, is, it? actually. Isn't it? Like, oh, whenever he- good stuff happens, it's heaven. Whenever bad stuff, it's hell. That, no, there's a real heaven. There's a real hell. Hell, and they're different to earth. And also, I'm struck by, by the way, as you said that, that last line, the tilt the world towards heaven and away from hell. Of course, that, again, is not the gospel message because that wonderful, I love that image at the end of the New Testament that actually 
you know, heaven comes down, the new Jerusalem comes mm. down. There'll be a new mm. creation, and uh, and Christ will be will be all in all. I'm also struck by the way as well. Something you said that made me reflect on, you know, finding meaning is such a big thing mm. for him mm. because personally, what he's been through, and I think some you know some yeah. dark patches and so on. And I'm very struck by the fact. I mean, I forget where I first read this observation. Somebody pointed out that the you know, the word logos, which is used in, in, in the prologue of John's gospel, uh, is mm. the word we translate into English word. Well, the word logos was a word that, that John used very cleverly because logos was one of the mm. words the Greek philosophers used when they were talking about the meaning of life, the, the, the cosmic mm. principle that underpinned everything. Mm. And, you know, there was lots of debate around the logos in the first century. You had, you know, some groups of philosophers didn't think it existed. So you just had to kind of get on with life. Others thought it existed, mm. but you could never find out what it was. So eat, drink, and be merry. And t- for today, we, you know, tomorrow we die. But then along comes John's gospel and goes, no, 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 no. Not merely is is there definitely a logos. It has come to us. It has stepped into space and time and history. Mm. Logos has gone mm. flesh and, and dwelt with us. And my prayer for Jordan is he is he that that light bulb moment when the Holy Spirit illuminates his heart and mind to go, my word, there is a meaning of life. There is that pinnacle but I haven't got to constantly strive towards it. It's come to me. And um, one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels is the woman caught in adultery where Jesus bends right down and is on the ground at her level, at eye level, and he's doodling in the dust. And I'm longing for that moment where G- Jordan has the eye-to-eye encounter where he hears that still small voice going, hey, Jordan, it's Jesus. Mm. And that's what is going to ultimately mm. transform. It's very powerful. And, and, and then just to, uh, I guess, close it out to say, We've been talking a lot about, like, yeah, Jordan Peterson as an individual, but the reason why we're talking about him is because of the things he's saying are, are, are hitting a nerve with a lot of people in the Western world. That's why 12,000 people went to see him talk about the meaning of life, and they don't go right. to see any preacher, which is a sad thing in itself. No one goes to see a preacher in our day. He's almost like the secular great awakening. They're, they're awakening themselves to the fact, oh, my gosh, me- meaning of life. And we need to be the ones to actually proclaim that message, as you say, proclaim the Jesus who meets you there, um, um, drawing in the dust um, of, of, of what, what, how to actually get you out of this issue. That's where the future of like civilization lies. If, if civilization is going to be saved and redeemed, it's going to come through the advance of the kingdom of God. And that will take um, physical form as well. It's not just a, it is a spiritual heavenly reality. And yet at the same time, it will mean transformation in this world and, and that will come through Christians really meaning what they say when they do proclaim Jesus as Lord. Cracking stuff. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Paul of the Gaps. I think for me, the big takeaway message is whatever you think uh, about Jordan, you know, he's a, he's like the torchbearer for a much bigger movement. And I'm struck at Aaron, that the nature of the questions are changing. And one of the mistakes we sometimes make in the church is we talk about yesterday's questions. You know, the new atheism has had its day. Some of that still hangs around, but there's a new wave coming. And I think we're going to increasingly meet people, especially younger people, who are open to spirituality. They're open to meaning. They're looking for those things. And so we need to get ourselves into that conversation. And we don't need to be afraid of that mm. we, we, because of Christ. Uh, and I think the gospel is the most powerful and Christians roll up their sleeves and go, right, this is where the culture is at. God loves it, mess and all. Let's get in there and be part of it. So mm. I'm excited. There are Christians involved in ARC. One of the organizers, the other organizers was Philip Stroud, who's a Christian. Uh, there are Christians who spoke at it. Oz Guinness was there uh, and mm. others. So let's be praying for that. And we have come across friends who are into the whole Jordan Peterson phenomena. I hope that some of the stuff that Aaron and I have talked about today has been helpful. So this has been Pot of the Gaps. I've been Andy Bannister. This has been 
Aaron Edwards. Aaron Edwards. And we're back in a few weeks' time with another topic, another show. Hope you can join us then. Goodbye for now. Farewell. Well.